in all the movies that you have ever watched for all time. What I'm about to show you is quite possibly one of the finest scenes to ever hit the screen. Watch this. Yes, sir. Huh? We're in a terrible rush. Don't rush me, Sonny. You rush a miracle, man, you get right miracles. You got money? 65. Sheesh. I never worked for so little, except once, and that was a very noble cause. This is noble, sir. His wife is crippled. Children are on the brink of starvation. Are you a rotten liar? I need him to help avenge my father. Murdered these 20 years. Your first story was better. Where's that bellows cram? He probably owes you money, huh? Well, I'll ask him. He's dead. He can't talk. Look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. Hey! Hello in there! Hey, what's so important? What you got here, that's worth living for. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yeah, Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, a mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. <laughs> They're so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said, to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards and he cheated. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! I'm not! I'm your wife. But after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be dead anymore. You never had it so good. True love. He said true love, Max. Don't say another word, Valerie. He's afraid. Ever since Prince Humperdinck fired him, his confidence is shattered. Why'd you say that name? You promised me that you would never say that name. What? Humperdinck? Humperdinck. 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 I'm not listening. Lies expiring, and you don't have the decency to say why you won't help. Nobody's hearing nothing. Humperdinck, Humperdinck. This is Buttercup's true love. If you heal him, he will stop Humperdinck's wedding. I make him better, Humperdinck suffers? Humiliations galore. I did a lick all day, That is a noble cause. Give me the 65. Come on, the job. That's a miracle pill. The chocolate coating makes it go down easier, but you have to wait 15 minutes for full potency. And you shouldn't go in swimming after for at least one. An, an hour. Yeah, an a hour. good hour. Yeah. Thank you for everything. Okay. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Absolutely one of the best. So... The great philosopher and magician, Miracle Max, let us know of two categories of the dead. All dead and mostly dead. Okay? This morning I'm going to give you three more categories of dead. One I think you've already heard of, that is the walking dead. And then two more that you may not have heard of yet. 
That is the wannabe dead and the gonna be dead. Now, you may not necessarily understand the terms just yet, but by the time we're done today, you're going to get it. And you're going to understand why this really, really matters. Why our recognition, whatever term you may agree or not agree with me on, why our recognition of these other types of dead matters when we walk with a Savior who's restored us when we live for a God who's redeemed us, who's given us our life back. One who has made dead people come alive again. That's you and that's me. Uh, When it comes to impossible outcomes, that's what we're talking about today. A couple of weeks ago, we began this study by taking a look at uh, the story of Paul and how he met God on a road, and we called that divine interruptions, how God has a way of stopping us in our tracks and helping us to pay attention to the things that he wants us to pay attention to. But instead, uh, see, uh, Paul thought he was working for God, when in reality what he was doing was, was working against God. God let him know that, but instead of punishing Paul, he recruits him. And we call that a changed life. So we have divine interruptions that lead to changed lives and changed lives lead to impossible outcomes. That's the way that this works. So when it's all said and done, uh, really, do we believe, like I asked last week, do we really believe that God can change lives? The answer was yes, we do. We're all walking testimony of that. Now we believe that because of changed lives, God brings about impossible outcomes. I want to demonstrate that to you today and help you to, to see the new terms, living examples of the new terms of the walking dead by making a big difference in telling this story. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. It, it, the story begins rather uh, powerfully. What Paul had begun to do is go around with a guy named Silas, and they were planting, you don't have to read that just yet, uh, they were uh, uh, starting churches, and they were just going into one city after another, and they would just walk into a marketplace uh, for you and me to just be a mall or maybe a grocery store or, or whatever, and they would bump into people, and after a little bit of conversation, they'd just start talking about how Jesus had made a difference in their life. And, and, and it was amazing that the lives that were changed and how that happened. When Paul walks into this city with Silas, they meet a woman named Lydia. Uh, it, the Bible says that she was a, a follower of God, but she didn't know who Jesus was. They introduce her to Jesus. She's uh, overwhelmed by the good news that they share with her. And she says, just come back to my house and stay with me for a little bit, and which is what they did. And they're going around the city and still talking to people. And that's where we'll pick up our story then in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16, starting with uh, verse 16. It says, one day we were going to the place of prayer. On the way, we were met by a female slave. She had a spirit that helped her tell people what was going to happen, a fortune teller. Okay. She earned a lot of money for her owners by doing this. She followed Paul and the rest of us around. She shouted, these men serve the most high God. They are telling you how to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became upset. I'll tell you why in a little bit. Um, Paul became upset. Turning around, he spoke to the spirit that was in her. In the name of Jesus Christ, he he said, I command you to come out of her. And at that very moment, 
Spirit left the woman. Her owners realized that their hope of making money was now gone. So they grabbed Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them to the judges. These men are Jews, her owners said. They're making trouble in our city. They're suggesting practices that are against Roman law. And these are practices we can't accept or take part in. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The judges ordered that Paul and Silas be stripped down and beaten with rods. They uh, they were whipped without mercy. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put Paul and Silas deep inside the prison. He fastened their feet so they couldn't get away. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were also singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a powerful earthquake. It shook the prison from top to bottom. All at once, the prison doors flew open. Everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. He saw that the prison doors were open. He pulled out his sword and was going to kill himself. And I'll explain that in a little bit too. He thought the prisoners had escaped. Don't harm yourself, Paul shouted. We're all here. The jailer called out for some lights. He rushed in, shaking with fear. He fell down in front of Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out. He asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, then you and every uh, then you and everyone living in your house will be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. They also spoke with all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took Paul and Silas and washed their wounds. Right away, he and everyone who lived with him were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal in front of them. He and everyone who lived with him were filled with joy. They became they had become believers in God. Early in the morning, the judges sent their officers to the jailer. They ordered him, let those men go. The jailer told Paul, the judges have ordered me to set you and Silas free. You can leave now. Go in peace. But Paul replied to the officers, they beat us in public. We weren't given a trial and we're Roman citizens. They threw us into prison and now they, uh, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and personally lead us out. The officers reported this to the judges, and when the judges heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they became afraid. So they came and said they were sorry. They led them out of the prison. Then they asked them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. There they met with the brothers and sisters of the church, and they told them to be brave. Then they left. Now, I know that this is a long section of Scripture. I usually don't read this much uh, on Sunday, but this is a big story. There are a lot of threads and a lot of characters and a lot of twists and a lot of turns, and and, and I want to explain it to you uh, so that you can understand who the walking dead are, who the wannabe dead are, and who the gonna-be dead are, because it will make a difference to you and me how we understand this story. Well, first, the walking dead. The person in the story is represented by the slave girl. She exists to tell people's fortunes. And she exists merely at the whim of her owners. If she no longer had the ability to do what she was doing for her owners, she would literally be a castaway. Nothing. Absolutely of no value whatsoever. She is, for all intents 
and purposes lifeless. She is the walking dead. It's difficult to talk like that about another human being, but in reality, this is exactly who many people happen to be. Can you imagine what it's like to be forced to tell other people's fortunes when you know that you don't have one ounce of a future? This is what it means to be lifeless. Even when she follows Paul and Silas around saying, these men serve the most high God and they're going to tell you how you can be saved. It's kind of ironic because she's at that very moment while shouting in the midst of the marketplace uh, without getting paid for it, telling other people what their possible fortunes could be. And yet while she's shouting it, she knows that she has absolutely no access to this life giving message that Paul is sharing with other people. It's about as cruel as it can get to know that life is just that far away, but to believe that it's not for you. The outcome is possible for everyone except her. Do you know I see people every single day who live like this? At the grocery store, walking down the street, sometimes even at church. They walk in and they come in and they're greeted and and we welcome you and we care about you. But for whatever reason, the things that I say, the words that John sings, the message that we bring to you, you falsely think that it'd be nice if that message was able to be for you, but it's not. There's too much. You owe too much. You're burdened too much. And it'd be nice if God could help you, but you're too broken. You're too overwhelmed. You're lifeless. The walking dead. Then there's the wannabe dead. The wannabe dead is personified by the jailer. I call him that because he thinks that his life is hopeless. It's kind of ironic in the same way that it was for the slave girl. It's kind of ironic that he's in charge of the jail, but he's the one that's in prison. His life has no hope. His only job was to make sure that people who come into prison stay there. That's his only job. And when the earthquake happens, the cell doors are broken open. He draws his sword to kill himself. And that's not an unexpected conclusion for us to make because we know that in ancient times, if soldiers failed at their duty, it was not uncommon for them to be executed. So he just figures he'll save the guys the trouble. That's exactly what he was about to do. He's like so many people who look at their life and they don't think that there's really anything to live for. They're totally overwhelmed by their circumstances. It's, it's kind of like that scene. I, I don't know if you remember uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan and, and the beginning images there when uh, the guys are going on the beach at Normandy and uh, there's so much happening that 
they can see it, but they can't hear it. There's so much going on that it overwhelms the human senses. Eyes might work, but ears don't. Ears may work, but eyes can't. It's too much. And that's what happens to people who are hopeless. They're overwhelmed. They interpret things that they're seeing as if everything that they see is a representation of their failure in life. It doesn't matter where they turn. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they see or who they know. Their life is hopeless. And this is where the jailer is. I have had the opportunity to speak to people like that. It doesn't matter how good a job they do or don't have, what their family is like or is not like, what may be going on in their life or what may be going on in somebody else's life. They, they are overwhelmed. They are a water, a victim in the water. The water is at chin level and they're overwhelmed and they're exhausted. They've already gone below twice and the third time is coming quickly. They're hopeless. Then there's the gonna be dead. Now you might jump to a very quick conclusion and say that the gonna be dead is the city leaders that we read about. And I can understand why you might go there, but that's not who the gonna be dead are. The gonna be dead are the believers in the city. They're like Lydia. Paul comes into town with Silas and they're preaching this message and suddenly uh, this message of Jesus who was dead is now alive and wants to give that life to you. They proclaim that message boldly, powerfully and in the midst of proclaiming that, that message, some business leaders get upset. They grab Paul and Silas and the other believers in town like Lydia watch as without a word, those men are stripped down and beaten within an inch of their life and then thrown into prison. They are powerless. You go ahead and believe whatever you want to believe. But don't you mess with anybody else. Because if you do, I'll show you just how powerless your God is. They're not dead yet, but they're going to be. That's the whole point to intimidate to overwhelm, to not have hope, to not have life, to not have power. I don't have to tell this story the way that I did. I don't even have to read from Acts chapter 16. You know people like this. You work with people like this. You live next door to people like this. You have people like this in your family. And while they may not know Acts chapter 16, they know who you are. You are a follower and a believer of Jesus. You are a follower and a believer of the God who specializes in bringing about the impossible. Who changes lives that you and I thought couldn't be changed. Who brings about the course of events and circumstances and introductions and and, and so many different things that You and I just say it's a miracle without a big blue pill coated in chocolate. 
No, it's God doing amazing things in people's lives. But even with all of that, even with all of that, there are times when you and I still live lifelessly, hopelessly, and powerlessly. And we sit right alongside the slave girl, the jailer, and other believers. And we wonder, is, there any, is it ever going to change? Is it ever going to be any different? I heard about people having a, a difference-making event in their lives, and I hear about it happening to other people, but is it ever going to happen to me? And then, and then, and then the earth starts to rumble a little bit. And a rumble turns into a shake. And a shake turns into a full-fledged earthquake and bricks are falling and people are yelling. But I want you to know that it wasn't just buildings that shook, it was people. Because just about the time that you think things can't get any worse is just about the time when God says, I'm about to make things a whole lot better. Because he doesn't just specialize in making things impossible possible. He specializes in making people, lives, now go from lifeless to full of life and from hopeless to hopeful and from powerless to powerful. The cell doors came open. <laughs> and I, you know, for me, when I read in between the lines, I just kind of smile every once in a while because uh, the, the cell doors crack open and, and the Bible says that uh, the jailer looked up and the doors are open and he's thinking, These, my, my boss is going to know that uh, I failed. And isn't just, of course, this is just the way my life is supposed to end. Of course, it would happen to me when I've got the shift. He, he, that's, you know, he, he, he looks up and he goes, are you kidding me? And that's just when you can see that. And he, and he, and he thinks, uh, notwithstanding the subtle bit of humor, he thinks, God, why? Why? Pulls out a sword. And just as the sword starts to travel downward, No! Don't. We're all here. Everybody is here. Come on. Don't put the sword down. Come on in. Look for yourselves. See, everybody is here. What you thought was hopeless is absolutely unbelievable unless you were here to see it. And you're here to see it. Everybody's here. And the jailer looks at Paul and he's, Who are you? How did... Who are you? Who is the God that you are singing about? Do you know him? Can you tell me about him? What do I need to do 
to have the life that you have? What do I need to do to have the hope that you have? What do I need to do to be saved? It's not necessarily that difficult a discussion for you and I to imagine. It's actually quite possible. Do you know that this month is Suicide Prevention Month? There are a whole lot of people that are absolutely overwhelmed and hopeless in life. The things that you and I see, they don't see the same way. The things that are kind of unfortunate, they look upon as deal breakers. The things that you and I might look upon as really bad, they look upon as reasons to just end it all. And I would say rather forcefully, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And when you and I even begin to think that there are people who are thinking like that, we need to remind them how much God loves them. How much you love them. I love them. People love them. And to the best of their ability, we need to do the same thing that Paul did. Paul said, no, what you think you see is not what you're really seeing. What you think you know is not really accurate. Because nothing is ever that bad. Message of lifelessness is turned into a message of hope. God is in the business of doing in our lives what we think cannot be done. God is the sole designer of impossible outcomes. The sole designer. You and I have a message for those that are hopeless. So after a shaky night, the city leaders get up and realize that their town is kind of in pieces. And they kind of remember that the day before, there were a couple of guys who caused a big old ruckus in the, in the marketplace. And, uh, you know, they really didn't do anything bad, but they weren't going uh, to let the business leaders uh, feel disappointed. So they just kind of smacked them around a little bit and threw them in jail. And now they're going to uh, set them free. And this is, this is actually really cool. This is really neat how this works out. They uh, send a message to Paul and Silas that they are uh, released. But when they get the message, Paul lets the jailer know, oh, really? Well, do you know that you did this to us without even coming to the understanding that we're Roman citizens? And that's a, that's a big deal. It just, I don't need to take you to first century history class, and I'm not going to do that. But just trust me, that was a really big deal deal. Okay. It's kind of like walking into a Patriots game with a Jets jersey on. Okay. It's a really big deal. Okay. And, um, so, so, and you don't, uh, you either are or you aren't. And if you are a Roman citizen, you are not allowed to be legally treated that way. 
And when the city leaders found this out, they knew they were in big trouble. So just, okay, go back, go back and talk to the guys. Tell them we're really, really sorry. They're free to go. Nothing will ever be said about any of this. And Paul says, oh, no, you don't. Now, now you and I might do this a little bit differently. Now that we think we've got somebody over a barrel, to, to, to borrow a phrase, we can take advantage of that. And, and, but that's not what Paul does. Remember, I said that the powerless were not the city leaders. The power were the belie- powerless were the believers. And, and they think if they talk about Jesus anytime, that's what's going to happen to them because that's what happened to Paul and Silas. So what does Paul do? He says, no, you guys come on down here. You guys come on down here and you walk us out of prison in the full view of everybody in town. <sighs> okay. So now all the believers who originally thought that there was nothing that could ever be done, that they can talk about Jesus, but they can really only whisper his name because God may be a, be a God of power, but he's not a God of power in my town and in my life. But now out come Paul and Silas, having been cared for by the jailer and now treated like honorable citizens by the city leaders. And believe you me, the city leaders are going to think twice the next time they start messing with people who know Paul and Silas. It's brilliant. And Paul basically says, listen, You don't want to worship my God, don't worship my God. But you better be kind. And you better be fair. And the powerless become powerful. And the entire city saw it. God is in the business of doing in our lives what you and I don't think can possibly happen. He is the sole designer of the impossible outcome. And somewhere on the side of the street stands a slave girl with tears in her eyes. And she can't believe what she just saw happen. And I don't know, it's not in Acts chapter 16, but you know what I like to think that happened? I like to think that in tears, she walked off the side of the street and saw Lydia standing there because that's where Paul and Silas went. They went to Lydia's house. And she said, would you please, please tell me about Jesus? And the one who was lifeless was given an opportunity to be full of life. You have that opportunity today. You don't have to believe the lies. You don't have to be overwhelmed by what you think or by what you see. You don't have to think that everything is hopeless, that this life is just what you have and it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you believe. It doesn't matter how you live. It does matter. It does matter that you know God. It does matter that I want you to know that God knows you. It does matter that I want you to know that God loves you. And you might think that nothing can be done, but I want you to know I know a God who specializes in impossible outcomes. Would you like to meet him?
God, thank you so much for making things that are impossible possible. Thank you so much for bringing hope to the hopeless, life to the lifeless, and power to the powerless. Lord, there are a lot of us that don't have the same kind of a story, but we do have the same story. Thank you so much for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.